Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get a chance to kind of go through all of the material from the weekend, talk about anything that didn't make it quite to the cutting room floor, uh, gives an opportunity to kind of highlight one or two things that are coming up, um, and we're going to get to that in just a second, and then talk about the message. So it's also an opportunity for you as viewers to be able to submit your questions. It can be questions related to the series that we're on. It can be general questions, um, just really anything. You can submit that by going to Overtime at clcfamily.church email us there or overtime at clcfamily.church yeah i got that right i said it without thinking and then i had to think about it so before we jump into this week's content what we want to do is just kind of highlight something that's going to be happening next wednesday on february 12th february 12th we're going to be doing once again something that we call evening with the elders where the elders of the church they're kind of the help uh the ruling body or the group that helps to rule the the church, they govern, they're elected every year. You see that kind of as we do that, the nominations for that and everything. They're going to be kind of fielding questions, not just for that night. The goal is, is that on February 12th, they'll have questions. They'll be talking through some of the vision, some of the direction that we're going as a church. But also part of that goal is so that you would actually get to know your elders so that when you have questions, when we aren't doing an evening with the elders, that you can go talk to them. You can ask them any questions that you have. If you want clarity, if you can't, can't or don't want to talk to a staff member, the elders are kind of on that same page as staff. And so they've got all the answers that they can kind of get. Or if they don't have the answer right there, they can get the answer and get back to you. So yeah, so Presbyterian, that actually is the word that, that that's our denominational kind of structure, evangelical covenant order, Presbyterians. But that name comes from Presbytery, which is what we, that's the word elder. So there's typically two different types of elders in churches. You got ruling elders and teaching elders. Those of us who stand in front of you and open up the Bible, those are the teaching elders. A lot of times they're occupational, Gary, myself, Ben, others. Um, now, on the other side, we have what's called a ruling elder. But right. I really like about that term, as you hear it, you think it means like ruling with authority. But it right. really means a ruler, like one yeah. that measures the spiritual health of the, the congregation. So uh, the way that I would define them is here's where you are. Here's where God wants you to be. And it's really hard to get from here to here. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of the role of an elder to help shepherd us and get us there. And so as I even talked this past week about friends, boy, these would be good people to have in your, yeah. in your, uh, in your contact list. These are people that want to get in the ditch with you, want to help you kind of navigate this life, want your family, help your family with all that. So really, really great resource that yeah. God gives us in elders and you can meet them, know them and connect with them next Wednesday. Yeah. So right now we, when we're recording this, it is the 4th of February. So that is not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, again, that's Wednesday, February 12th. Yeah. Um, basically that's during our normal cow hours, which stands for connect on Wednesday. So at five 30, we have a meal at about six 15 is when the classes start. So that's when the evening with elders will actually kick off. We'll probably go till about seven 30 or maybe a little bit after seven 30. Um, but then also the elders have always hung around. If you have any questions that you didn't want to ask as a group, like in the group, you can talk to them afterwards. Like that's again, the big idea is for you to get to know your elders and be able to talk to somebody and have somebody that you can, um, find answers for. So, um, we do do have several questions. In fact, I left one of them, but I'm pretty sure that I can remember what that question was. And we're, we're going to get to those questions in just a second, but want to kind of change gears into the weekend. So um, this was the last week of this was the fifth week of this is my year. So kind of finishing up that series. We've been looking at the book of Judges, but this week we kind of talking during the time of Judges, but we were in the book of Ruth, which yeah. is right after Judges. So do you want to just kind of give us a review of what we talked about this weekend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting is like I got an 11 year old. My daughter, Amelia, turned uh, eight just a, a couple weeks ago. And okay. Sophie turned six tomorrow. Oh, I, really? I okay. 
But every time they get a year older, I'm like, man, this is the best year. Like, this is the best age, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I kind of, like, the last several series that we've talked through, definitely with, like, uh, the Jesus Creed. I'm like, yeah. man, this is the best. And now we're in, uh, this is my year. And I'm like, this is the best series ever. And so I'm a little bummed to see it in. Yeah. It's a lot of material. We basically covered two pretty um, exhaustive books of the Bible yeah. in terms of just the, the – the content with the book of Judges and book of Ruth. And, you know, so we've worked through Genesis and Exodus. We've seen the constitutional yeah. stuff and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we just got to see a good bit of the, the Old Testament-ness. And so a little bummed to finish it up. Uh, also happy to. And so basically the book of Ruth happens during the time of the book of Judges. Right. And what we see in the, the book of Judges is some people call it the cycle of sin. Some of them call it the cycle of apostasy, just meaning operating with the wrong kind of creed or doctrine, right? Uh, adding stuff to it. And so what we what we got to see for multiple weeks is kind of like the big overarching picture that we needed saving and like the Israelites. And what usually got them in trouble was not other people, it was their own behavior, their own submission right, to things right. they shouldn't. And what we kind of were able to see that our biggest enemy in all this is not out there it's in here like not mm -hmm. out there not external it's internal like the one who does the most damage to me is me the one yeah. who talks the most negatively to me is me in fact um i was just as reading a statistic that carrie newhoff shared or hearing it and he said uh 70 of self-talk that people hear is negative talk so we talk to ourselves a lot more than anybody wow. else and 70 percent of what we say to ourselves is negative that's, and, a, that's uh, wow like is i i have to listen to that i haven't heard yeah, that one, but I, like so, that's. I'm assuming that there's some study or something. Oh, there's plenty like, of it. Yeah, wow. he links in show notes. I, I'm about to find that and post oh, wow. that at somewhere place. But yeah, so that's the reality is that not only do we talk about ourselves, what we say to ourselves is negative. Yeah. And so, man, how do we how do, how do we conquer that monster? And so we've been looking at the nation as a whole, trying mm -hmm. to identify that for us. Then we started looking at the kind of the, the 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 rescuers, the judges who were representative of Jesus as our rescuer. It's a very small part, band aid solution. And they were broken people who mm -hmm. God just decided to use, which is really neat because that's the only kind of people outside of Jesus that God uses as really broken people. So we got to see kind of the journey for them: uh, Gideon, Samson, Barak, Deborah, others. And what I really loved about this week is now we have this this whole story, the Book of Ruth that takes place while these nations are in upheaval, right? The right. Israelites are up and down. And right. What I thought was really important here and wanted to finish it up with this is because while this really need to think about us collectively and there's there's a lot to understand in terms of our nation, a lot I'd like to point out, but this wasn't a messages on nationalism on how to be a great nation. And it wasn't about being great judges and saving the day. That's Jesus's job, right, right? right? And so many, we get that messed up with David and Goliath. They're like, be a David. And we're like, no, Jesus is David, you know? Maybe there's some things we can do to trust it, but it's representative of a, of a one who you wouldn't expect to save the day comes in and saves the day. And so right. um, what I liked about this one is it literally looked at a family yeah. right in the middle of this mess yeah. and to kind of overlay those. And what I love even more than all that is this you see as the big bridge to the solution. Yeah. Right, so you have the whole nation that's a mess, and you wonder how is God going to save it? And eventually, you're going to see some kings show up. That's what will show up next here, right? But the thing is, is they're going to go. The kings are going to do it. And it's like, nope, not the judges, right. not the kings, not this king, because there is a different kingdom that's supposed to reign. Right. So even the best judges are dealing with a broken kingdom. Yeah. So we need a perfect king and a perfect judge to reconcile and bring in a new kingdom. And so yeah. finally, the Book of Ruth. If you pay attention to it, like read all the words. It's so beautiful because it just has whispers of this great redemption plan. And so yeah. the way they like to describe the book of Ruth, it's like this, it's taking the Israelites and connecting them to Jesus and taking all of God's people and building this big bridge yeah. using this really strange, sad, and um, 
exciting story. So it has all yeah. the things that should be in like a big, right. you know, big blockbuster hit. Like, but that's not all. Oh, plot twist. You know, all those things. And yeah. so it's really uh, fun for 60 minutes to kind of work through all those pieces of the Book of Ruth. And so the story basically goes, um, Israeli, uh, Israelite uh, Elimelech chooses comfort and security over leaning in and trusting God. He thinks he's in, his, in charge of his own life, moves to a place called Moab, takes his family, gives them Moabite, uh, Canaanite pagan names, and establishes himself in a foreign country where he thinks it's safer and better and he can have more comfort and joy and pleasure because yeah. those guys are having all those things. Now, the Israelites didn't like them because uh, their, their history is sordid and broken and right. you see from the time of Lot and uh, his daughters creating this ancestral boy Moab right, right. through this nation. And so this was not a place that honored God, thought that God had the best plans. They kind of thought we'll do it our own way. And uh, sometimes they had some success because God removed this provision and protection from the Israelites. And so the Moabites would take advantage of them. And so you imagine at that time, Elimelech's going, these guys are beating us down. We should change teams. Yeah. This this team, these guys, this nation is stronger than the nation of my God. Yeah. And therefore stronger than my God. He walks away. And what you see happen is the very thing that he idolized, uh, which was a false God, a security, comfort, you know, prosperity, was all ripped away from him to the point yeah. of death. He dies, his kids die. What's left is his wife, Naomi, and a daughter-in-law's. Uh, yeah. uh, that's it. And, and like, it's painful, complicated, and story goes. One daughter uh, kind of law goes back to her nation, her people, and Ruth goes, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people be my people. And she latches on to Naomi and loves her well and, and puts herself in harm's way to be a good friend and a good family member. And then through that, we see this great story that God was writing well ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, because we know it starts with, we see it later, Judah and Tamar. You know, you got yeah. that kind of thing. But even that, where it says later in the scriptures, I think you had a chance to talk about this. And in, um, in Ruth chapter four, it says, like Jacob and Leah. Uh, Rachel and Leah, it's like even that story is of broken women. Yeah, one is that's right. so, there's just all these broken family tree you know, branches. And yet what we see kind of the big idea is God is bending and shaping it all for our good. Like he is yeah. bringing about hope and restoration through and what's called this gentleman, uh, uh, kinsman redeemer. Right. That's the um, Hebrew word goel. That's a really, really neat word. Jews would have understood it. And this guy who comes in and makes things right when they're wrong, like he was their last last hope okay and all that points to jesus being the great and perfect goel yeah. so we got to say yep uh for naomi her life gets better for a couple of reasons one because ruth her daughter-in-law stays with her as a friend and leaves her country leaves her home plan leaves right. all of her safety and walked into an unsafe nation right. to be a good friend and help redeem naomi and her family then you see this guy boaz who pays the price with his own money with his own name with his own reputation to receive ruth and you know Naomi into his family. Yeah. And so he saw him as a redeemer, as one who pays the price, gives us all the rights, and even gives up his name in the, along the way. Yeah. And then kind of the big crescendo is they had this baby named Obed. Obed's going to be the father of Jesse, who's going to be the father of David in the town of Bethlehem, yeah. which sets the scene for this big, right. beautiful story that's going to happen. And so what I hope to happen in that is, even if you don't believe all this stuff, just to go, this is not folklore. This is not myth. Mm. This is not legend. These are historical people right. who, how in the world through generations does this come about in this way? Right. 
it's so easy for us to miss that big picture of what's being orchestrated in the book of Ruth as the bridge between these two things. Yeah. I feel like there's so much that we can talk about. Yeah, we do I do hope to yeah, unpack yeah. some of that. Like even, even as you're giving the recap, I'm like, Oh, should I No, yeah, wait, yeah. I, let's finish the recap. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I feel like, <clears throat> like we've seen as we've done this series, like I feel like this is another kind of strange story, right? Like mm-hmm. you're right. It does have all kind of the highs and the lows of what Hollywood would have and do and say, but, um, but I guess for me, as I'm looking at this, one of the things that was really pretty cool is that this is the first time in this series specifically that, as you already said, that we get a look at kind of what it looks like to be an individual family. So we've looked at the judges, we've seen kind of how they've responded and maybe how they shouldn't have responded or yeah. whatever. But this is this is kind of a little bit more of a microscope like being able to dissect what it meant for this family. And I think it's interesting as we get into that, um, this idea that, uh, I want to get his name right. So, um, Elimelech? Yeah. Elimelech. I don't know if I'm saying that right. E-L-I-M-E-L-E-C-H-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-L-E-M-E-
I mean, but in our own world, you think about some kind of great tragedy and, you know, I usually can mark someone's um, story with God and some kind of experience they had. Maybe someone died and they thought God was no longer good or maybe yeah. someone that they thought was godly did them really bad and they yeah. just define that that's who God is. And so I think we all have those markers in our life. And so I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if Elimelech just had this deep pain. Yeah. And I do know, I do know that he had some expectation of how God would perform he didn't perform that way, right? Mm-hmm. So we under, we understand that. We understand relationally. Unmet expectations lead to disappointment. There's nothing that in here. And then, you know, that disappointment leads to, you know, some anger or bitterness and then eventually resentment and then contempt. Right. So it goes to the point where he's now saying, I trust myself more than I trust God. Right. And so when you think about that, you go, that's really, really sad. And yet I would I would venture to say, and and – if we're talking about look at macro, the whole nation of Israel during Judges, and the micro, this family, if we go a little bit further in the micro, if we just look at some of our actions with the yeah. things we say or do, yeah, we are we are we're, we're going to the Moabite team right daily, yeah, and something. That's that's also yeah. what struck me is yeah. that as much judgment I have for him, yeah. I'm going. How often do I do that? How often do I do the same exact thing? Yeah. I divorce from everything of God, and I just kind of do my own thing. Yeah. yeah. So even if we think about it in terms of let's think of their sordid history. One of the things we know is that they um, they had a long generational curse of a lot of sexual um, deviance. I hate to yeah. use that word that way. They well, like, you're talking like, about Moab. Yeah. Yeah. So so even if we think about let's just play that into American culture and in church culture or mm. in you know Christian culture or pastor culture. There are times that we allow our minds to escape to yeah. what they just happen to want to escape to as well, mm, right? Yeah. When you log into that computer screen, when you right, chased right. your eyes down that thing that long, it's like, yeah. we we don't, maybe we're not, maybe we don't understand that we're attaching our whole family to it, right? Right? Maybe we don't understand that that's happening, or maybe we don't think it is, but there is an allegiance we are giving in those moments right. in the same way, not, not to give shame. I'm not like saying, hey, feel shame as a result of hearing this. It just doesn't make sense that we would put ourselves in yeah. into that seat and go, wow, let's see what God does in yeah. all this. Because we're we're the same, just maybe at a, at a smaller level, or yeah. maybe we are maybe we already live in Moab, right? You know, right. In reality, right. so right. So as you did talk about it, like, and I know that you shared this on Sunday, so it's kind of a weird topic to bring up, but that whole how Moab kind of came to be as a nation, like, is that something that you want to talk about? The like, so there's incest in that, and actually, uh, I do want to point out, happy birthday! It was Josh's birthday on Sunday. Oh, by the way, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. Well, the reason why I'm thinking that is because as everybody was singing to him on Sunday, um, we were in the office talking about biblical incest. Like we were discussing it. And then all of a sudden it was like, are they singing? Yeah. And Josh goes, oh, are they, are they looking for me? I'm like, why are they looking for you? Mm -hmm. And then I heard that it was his birthday. So happy birthday, Josh. We were talking about biblical interest. 39 this year. Yeah. Uh, 39. That's not like, you're 39. Your kids are like. Your girls, at least, their birthday is like right around yours, yeah, right? Yeah, so okay. I'm, I'm sandwiched between my two girls. Okay. Which <laughs> is so, great. I love them there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so it's a broken story. But yeah. what we got to go back to, and we almost have to land here, and this whole story, it all has to do with leveret marriage. This idea mm-hmm. that because that for Jewish girls, their value was in right. being able to produce offspring, right? right? Right. And so there is this deep pain, and it wasn't just because they should have babies. It was written in the order that family was for sustaining order, right. for like, you know, that was where um, poverty was resolved. That's where health care was resolved. It was all originally created for the family. By the way, we messed that up, right? So marriage we messed up in Genesis 
family where you've messed up in Genesis. And one of the things that God does is he creates a new institution that starts when he comes back. Yeah. And that's the church right. to resolve those things. Not right. government. There's some things that you see in Romans about government, protection, security, order. But it's not about all these other things, right? right. He actually right. first created the family. Then he created the church. Prior to the church, the family was the entire plan for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when these girls have nothing, their whole livelihood is just done. Okay, there's dad and then there's us. So instilled in them is the way by which they sustain life, right. had a legacy, was with their offspring and their family. So it wasn't about pleasure. Right. This wasn't about any of those things. So this, while deviant, this wasn't because they... They were sexually aroused by this. Right, I mean, right. really uncomfortable to talk about. So when they think about it, it is very cut and dry. We need offspring. Yeah. That's just how they are hardwired there. And so you just see that. And so you see the story begin there with, you know, they look up and as far as they can tell, life's over yeah. because Sodom and Gomorrah are done. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't have, you know the internet or news. Yeah. It would make sense. They would think this is what God just did to the whole world. And, and even to play that forward. Yeah. So Lot's wife dies. So it, it's not like they're going to have any more siblings that would carry on the family. So I, yeah, it so, makes sense. So um, in deep pain and grief, they drink a lot yeah. and do this to their father. And there's lots to say about that in terms of how we define this now in terms of alcohol and not, yeah. not consent and all that kind of stuff. Now, and this is what's so complicated, and yet, yet God, um, he not necessarily orchestrates it, but allows it. And, and I mean, we know that lineage happens through here. We know that eventually yeah. Jesus comes through this deal, so through this family of Moabites. So it's a complicated ordeal to go, yeah, let's just lean in and go, boy, is it messy and complicated. And yet... God is still in there yeah. bending and shaping for our good and their good. I mean, yeah. they're still good in that. But yeah, so they come about by this drunken moment where Lot impregnates one of his daughters. Yeah. And then they're whispered about forever. Yeah. For, by the way, forever. Yeah. And here we are. Right. Thousands years later, still talking about this story. That's right. So, so so as we kind of fast forward into that story, kind of going back to 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 Naomi and Ruth. So uh-huh. as we look at this, obviously Moab didn't work all <laughs> out all that great. So we see that uh dad dies sons die and then it's naomi and she's got her two daughter-in-laws who were moab moabites 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 yeah yeah yeah, something like that um so they are she decides naomi decides okay i guess i'll go back to israel Mm -hmm. like at this point it's pure speculation but why do you think do you think that it was she was in agreement with her husband to go to moab do you think that she's going okay well that didn't work out as well as we thought that cycle like hey we thought that there would be it would be good over here but we've experienced the same thing so she decides to go back to israel i think it's just speculation because we don't have the reason why but yeah so what we can deduce one uh their kids have canaanite names so there's something in that in the naming that they're 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 pledging allegiance to a different culture yeah so is that all limelight making it happen maybe um i think what we can tell from this though is at the end of the day when they die she blames god yeah so there is some belief that this was somehow God's fault and not their um, rebellion. And that's the thing I want to point out and make sure we understand. This isn't God going, let me show you, strike them dead, right? Yeah. What happens is Elimelech literally said, God, I'm not interested in you providing security or protection or provision for my family. I got it from here. And God goes, okay, you don't need my protection for your health. You don't need my protection for your food. You don't need my protection for any of these things. You, you think you're the one who creates all this? Yeah. Okay, like there's this, there like this is what I think is so important to understand kind of the nature of God is God is not going to 
beat us to make it into submission. Right, right. right? I mean, like, he is not going to make you, if you want nothing to do with him for all eternity, he's not going to make you sit there on the front row and pout, right? right? Eventually, you're going to get your wish. And so what ends up happening for Elimelech is he is now his own God and therefore his own sustainer. But he can't make the sun come up or down. He can't make food grow out of the ground, right? He can't do those things on his own. And so while Naomi it seems to miss this for a little while, and then we see her kind of come back into the celebration of who God is, um, I think that it kind of shows that either she was in agreement or at least didn't understand um, the uh, the weight that it was to, to walk away from God's provision and protection. So she walks out. Now she is bitter and angry is where we find her in the end of Roman, uh, Ruth chapter 1. Yeah, and so I was just looking at 6. It says, when Naomi heard that Moab, uh, heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people in providing yeah. food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home um, there. So it's interesting. So she starts returning, kind of fast-forwarding, kind of going through this a little bit yeah. quicker. Um, basically, one daughter, two daughter-in-laws, they both say that they'll stay. She goes, no, don't stay. You should be with your people. So one daughter-in-law peels off. Ruth isn't having it, though. Yeah. She's going, no, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your God will be my God. And so yeah. there's this incredible devotion that she shows there. And then as we get into the rest of the story, of as they get into Israel, which that, man, I can only imagine what that would have been like. I'm in my mind, I'm speculating that, you know, years have passed, yeah. that the sons grew up because they had Canaanite names, like yeah. sons grew up, they married, like, so years yeah. later, Naomi returns, and she's without her husband, without her sons, and she's got one yeah. Moab woman with her, and it's her daughter-in-law. So I just, even in contrast, what I'm looking at, they left, but then they came back and that and Naomi even says to not call her by Naomi. Yeah. She says, call her me Mara. For yeah. It means bitterness. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess as we're going into it, like, I think it's just a fascinating story that, so Naomi and Ruth kind of come up with this plan of, okay, how do we provide? Well, by the way, before we get there, I think it's so funny that this is like one of the most read first Corinthians 13, probably at the top. Uh, in terms of weddings, but this is the one where yeah. you go all go, and I'm like, do you understand that's the girl saying that to her mother-in-law? <laughs> How many of you want to say that to your in-laws okay. there? So I have to admit that this was a verse that Hope and I used, but it was significant because it was it was something that Hope had said to me. Yeah. So it was it was a difficult time in my life where I was just kind of questioning, okay, God, what do you have in store yeah. for me? Like, Hope, if you marry me, yeah. like, we might not be in this area. Who knows what yeah. God is going to do? And her response was similar to that of Ruth. It's so, beautiful, but that's, yeah. a, that's someone saying it to their mother-in-law. So how many of you want to say that to your mother-in-law? You should. Call them right now. Write them a card. Tell them that wherever they go, you'll go. I'm glad I'm on this side. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, love you guys. Uh, so, yeah. So as as we get yeah. into it, they're kind of okay. going, okay, Boat, what yeah. do we need to do? You talked about, again, it's kind of the culture. So Naomi, who's a widow at this point, she's old in age. She's sold off her land because she's – as they well, move, I think they sold it. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. So as they move, they sold it off. She, we don't so need. She has Israel. nothing. Yep. So she's in a place where she doesn't have any land. She doesn't have any food. She doesn't have the means to be able to get land or food yep. because she would have to work. And at this point, we're assuming that she's pretty old. So, like, how does this? Like, it's easy for me to read this story and see. Well, clearly, God was using that relationship to provide for Naomi and to bless Naomi, even though Naomi and her husband had turned kind of away from God, it's pretty clear to see that God was using Ruth. And so Ruth and Naomi create this plan, okay, to go to Boaz's field, start gleaning the food there, and then Boaz shows this great favor. I don't really know if I have a question in that, but I just think it's a pretty fascinating story to see 
for God, I guess, to see and understand everything that Naomi needs, and he provides that through Ruth. Yeah, not only this, he's actually writing this plan mm-hmm. in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy through Moses going, yeah. here's the way this works. So this is why you look at how they dealt with the impoverished, look how they dealt with debt. There are three very important parts of this. The first one is Jubilee. Yeah. Every 50 years, people get their land back. Why? Because yeah. God knew they were going to I wanted you to like, expand on that So that's it. It's, it's really that simple. It's like yeah. uh, every 50 years, there is a big party. And it wasn't like 50 years after you sold the land. It's just a marked thing on the calendar. Every 50 years. So it would be really smart for you to sell your land in year 49, right? <laughs> and so it's, just, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, people have messed with bankruptcy and figured out every step. Years, there's all sorts of stuff. It's that kind of thing, and so every 50 years, God would get it back into its original owner. Meaning, yeah. let's get it back in the original construct. Remember when Joshua led them into the promised land, divided up the land, and go, "This is your land. Take care of it. Bring the kingdom of heaven to that piece of land. Keep all the junk off of, off of it." I mean, yeah. that's what we see in the land, you know, flowing milk and honey and possibility. That's what they had, and so that was like their heritage. This was the family unit. From this point forward, a big piece of land can do a lot of great things, you yeah. know. And so, but they'd sell it off out of debt or, you know, whatever it is, almost always leveraging their uh, future for something they needed in the present, some kind of pleasure, some kind of thing. And so every 50 years, that'd get resolved. So we understand that that's probably not anywhere near this time because 50 right. years is a long time from now. Right, I'm 89 right. if that right. gets resolved for me. And if, I, if I'm impoverished for the next 50 years, yeah. what do my kids do? If you can't work, like next next yeah. 10 years, you can't provide for yourself. It doesn't matter that it's 40 yeah. years on top of that. So right. God, I, mean, I call it the Constitution. I mean, because we think about it in a nation, God writes this in his book. You know, like we have how to, you know, handle these things. And then the other option would be, a, you know, a kinsman redeemer, a goel. Yeah. And so that's a family member. Uh, from the line of whoever it is. And I, and so my question in that is, so family members. So when we think of family, I think that it's easy for us to think of immediate family. And then we have grandparents. And But in this, this would have looked potentially different because we had tribes. And so Boaz was, was a, a, a kinsman redeemer, but we don't know the direct connection. It doesn't mean that he was like the great uncle or he was the cousin. It, it could have been a... a a second or third or fourth is how does yeah, that so work? we know this tribe of judah yeah because we we see them tell us that later um and we know we're not too far removed from this you think about it because perez judah's kid was his great great grandfather yeah so our great 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 grandfather so we're only like five six you know generations yeah. from abraham so okay. this isn't that far removed right, from all that right. stuff and so you go okay this is perez is his dad so did perez have any other kids uh, was Elimelech one of those, or was this was Perez an uncle? Is you know like so we're like so you would have fallen at like a family tree ancestry.com, yeah, right, whatever right. it is, and there probably is yeah first second third fourth uncle cousin that kind of thing, but they would have been at least um somewhat aware of it. So yeah. we think about this as this huge complicated thing. They're in a town where Judah's from. This is where Perez was, and then we're yeah. following his tree. It's not like they're moving all over the globe. Everybody yeah, stays put. True. And so they would have known who everyone was. And so yeah. she, obviously, I mean, I, what we can deduce is that Naomi didn't say go to Boaz's field. She just says go to a field. Yeah. Finds out it's That's Boaz's. True. And Boaz is aware enough of who Elimelech is because he goes, I am I'm, I'm a guard. I mean, I'm we could be a guardian redeemer. But there's someone else that's a little closer. Right, so I think right. we got to see it in terms of context of what a village would have been like okay. in Bethlehem okay. at that time. Yeah, not in, like not even in terms of Southern Chester County or yeah, right. Philadelphia. I mean, this is a not a huge group of people living yeah. in this one town. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, so I, I did have a question too, as we're looking at that. It almost seems like it's the scheming of Naomi and Ruth. Like once she find out, oh, hey, that's Boaz. Yeah. Hey, here's a way. However, it 
I don't know if scheming is the right word for it because it seems as if this is the way that a God provided, but B just like, it just seemed to almost happen itself, I guess. Like God was, as you said, he was writing this story. And yeah. so it just so happens that as you just said, it, it was Boaz's field and yeah. he's a kinsman redeemer. And so it, like, it seems like the pieces fall into place. So I guess, was that scheming or was that the, yeah. And so I think it's stewardship. Yeah. You know, like, and I think that's what almost everything boils down to, even in the church, it's not like we can manufacture a move of God. But we should be good stewards of, like, yeah. if God's given us speakers, we should use them. If he's given us a building, we should use it. So it's just stewardship, I think. And so I would say stewardship, and that's why I hate, like, uh, a little off topic, but the churches have core values, and one of them is, like, excellence. We should be excellent in all things. And it's like, but excellence is such a moving target. Like, you give me $1,000, I can make something more excellent. But if you give me $100,000, I can make the thing I just made more excellent, a lot more excellent. And mm-hmm. then give me another, you know, whatever it is. And so it just seems to be a moving target. Mm-hmm. And so what I think should happen in all things, we should be intentional about using whatever God's given us. Here we go. Uh, there's this person in front of them who happens to be a kinsman redeemer, a possibility of that. They didn't know that. Here they are. Mm-hmm. God has just placed this person in front of them. So what yeah. do they do with that? Well, okay. they should be intentional with that, right? And so, yeah. I mean, James, Jesus' brother tells us we have not because we ask not, okay. or we don't have because we ask for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Okay, so God, we'd like to redeem our land. We'd like to restore the family unit. We know that's your plan. So we're going to go about it that way. Yeah. And instead of being manipulative— Something like, oh, hey, let's date for a while. She literally looks at him and goes, will you marry me? Yeah. That is, you know, that's not manipulative. She's yeah. laying out all of her cards, giving him the motivation, and he can go, yes or no. This isn't yeah. like, oh, gosh, I invested six months with this girl. Now I didn't realize this was what she wanted. I thought yeah. we were just friends. He, They just lay their intentions out really yeah. early on, which okay. I think is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So. so I guess the question then translates for, for me. How do I make sure that I'm not – how do I know if something is the will of God versus me trying to scheme – to get something like if I if I do this and this I know that this might produce this and then I can so how do how do I know the difference between my scheming and then the will or the plans of God great question and I think it actually fits to this question so maybe you want to yeah. ask that so think, yeah. here's what we kind of had somebody write in and we've got a couple more of these yeah. but here's the first one it says how do we know with certainty when any of our actions are not actions of sin yeah, so, okay, how do we know we're doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? You know, right. all this stuff. And it gets, it gets so complicated, right? It gets, like, because it's so ambiguous, and particularly since we were born um, sinners. So we have that hardwired in us, right? Yeah. And so, um, so I almost, like, if you were to read um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, right? It's just this picture of what it looks like to have pure motivations and yeah. trust God fully, right? And what I love there, and I will bring us back there as often as possible, which is where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. So, so much of this has to do with the motivations of our heart. So how do I know that this is a pure action or a sinful one? Well, what is your purity? Like, what is your motive of your heart? And Jesus tells us a little bit later, Matthew 6, he actually then expounds on like heart stuff. And what he tells us is really interesting. Matthew 6, I think 24, uh, uh, don't store up your treasures in heaven where things can, or don't store up your treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy. Like, don't make your motivation stuff that will end up dying. Limelight, he did that, by the way. He said, security, provision, let me go to the place of pleasure, and then he died, right? Then where they can be destroyed. But store up your treasures in heaven where it can't be destroyed. And then he says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Mm. So what we can now understand, as we sort through this, is going, something about our motivation is a reflection of our heart. That heart Mm. literally can be defined as your intent. Even that Greek word they would have used, they would have used it in a minute, like your whole person. Yeah. Yep. All of you, your motivation or your intent. So it's talking about the collective you and your intent. So what he says is you want to know your intent, look at your treasure. Yeah. (laughs) Now what's even more interesting 
is that word treasure in the Greek is like the sorrow. Yes, it's the same word we get thesaurus, right? So when you think of a thesaurus, you would go and look for kind of a, a, a kind of a conglomerate, a whole package of all the synonyms. Okay. So the word thesauro, the treasure, actually means storehouse. Okay. okay? Storehouse of synonyms. That's what the word thesaurus means, you know, storehouse of synonyms. So when he says where your treasure is, that means where your storehouse is. That means where your inventory is. Mm. That's where your heart is. So the real question is, what is it you're trying to accumulate? Mm. So when you think through all this, how do I know if my actions are pure or impure? The question that Naomi and Ruth would have had to ask is, what is it we're trying to accumulate? Yeah. Am I trying to accumulate children? Okay, why am I trying to accumulate children? Am I trying to, well, because because I will feel better? Because now I'll have more security? Or is it... Because I understand that that's what God's wired me to do. Why am I trying to accumulate this land? Mm. Well, is it so? There's something about you having to ask yourself: Why is it that I'm trying to accumulate this? My reputation, yeah. like, or why do I want people to be impressed with me? Or why am I trying to lose weight or gain weight? Deep down, you have to go: Why in the world is this something I'm trying to acquire? Because right. every day we're we're in the acquisitions and mergers right. group, right? Okay, how can I hitch myself to that, or how can I get that? That's all about acquisition. Because hardwired in us from the very beginning, since Adam, is this desire to acquire things that we don't have, right. eat from the this fruit so you can have something you don't already have and so is this more about getting something you haven't already failed before and acquiring something new or is this more about you aligning yourself back to the god of the universe mm. so now i'm saying when i write a check i'm not going why i'm not trying to acquire god's love that's yeah, right that's already there i'm actually just trying to invest in what i already know to be the case which is rewiring myself and our community to god's kingdom yeah. so that word treasure there wherever your treasures it means wherever it is the things that you gather pay attention to keep you know, some of, that, some of those things can be as easy as pay attention to the emails you save versus the emails you throw away. Pay attention to the junk mail you save versus the junk mail you throw away. Like pay attention mm-hmm. to things that come into your life, the things that, you, that, that you're keeping up with. And pay attention to the amount of clothes in your closet. Like what is it mm-hmm. you're trying to do? And then dive a little deeper to go, why do I want that? Yeah. Well, it's because at, at the end of the day, it has something to do with either security or value, right? I either find my security in having more food or more clothes, or more comfort, or more square footage, or I find myself as being more valuable as a result of these things, mm-hmm. right? And you can go as far as, why do you lie, right? Every time we say a lie, we're doing something. We're trying to acquire something from someone else, right? Acquire something in life. And at, at, at its base value, all of us lie, sin, all of it for this reason, right? Is for one of two things. Either we don't trust God with our value, like God is not enough for me, so I need people to be more impressed with me. So I either don't trust God with my value, or I don't trust God with my future. Mm. That's why we lie to our spouses if we think they're going to get angry at us. That because we don't, we're worried about what our future will look like. And mm. so all this, we go, okay, what's the motivation in my heart? Am I trying to find more value? Or am I trying to hedge and secure my future? And if those are the things, then that's a motivation of a sinful life, not one that's pleasing to God. So right. the question you have to go is, okay, is Ruth doing this because she's trying to find her value? Yeah. No, I think she's trying to see God orchestrating. Is she trying to secure her future? Well, maybe yeah. in that order, but is she trying to say, God, you put me here, so I'm going to trust that this is the next right step because you alone are the one who can determine my value. You right. alone to secure my future. But perhaps the way by which you want to do that is right here with this guy. Right, right. So here she is in front of him going, I think you might be the way that God esteems me. Yeah. And so 
it sustains me. So, so uh, I feel like Sorry. the long yeah. story short yeah. is it's the motivation of your heart. That's exactly right. right. Like Where your treasure how, is. What is it you're trying to get? Yeah, that's right. And I think that that's so important because uh, that why question you is ask so it. valuable. Why did I just do that? Yeah. Why did I just say that? Yeah. Man, why, oh, it's because I don't value God. Yeah. I don't find my value in God. Yeah, sorry. That was a long answer. Well, no, yeah. I think yeah. it takes time to even get yeah. through that. Like, yeah. And it's not a process that happens instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I do want to like, so as you kind of talk through this, and I do want to get to those other two yeah. questions um, that aren't necessarily related to what we're talking about, but I think that they're yeah. great, uh, great questions. Um, so you kind of said, at, uh, I'm trying to find it on my notes. You said, so, okay, why does this story happen? Like, what is, how does this actually come about? And you talked about the friendship that Ruth and Naomi have, yeah. that really it's, it's really what Ruth shows to Na- Naomi, really that dedication, that bond, that connection. And then you kind of wrapped up the message talking about friendship. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything there that you want to expound on or talk about, but I think that that was a really key point. And even you had said this, um, that it's part of the way that we, um, uh, part of the way that we can help break redemption happens or, Redemption happens in friendship. It was the way I think you said something along the lines. I can't find it in my notes right now, but it's um, friendships help us overcome this sin cycle. So uh, I just yeah. thought that they was kind of the main point that you were really driving towards. Mm-hmm. So how do we continue to do that? How do we be friends? Yeah. How do we make more friends? Like how do we do that so that we can see and live out God's will for us the way that Naomi and Ruth did. Yeah, so there are several thoughts. One, I think you can point to your pain and your growth as it relates to friendships. Hmm. So, like, by the way, um, so neat what, what science is doing. They, they've been studying addiction. And um, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. That's what, you know, that's kind of the, the new aha that's happening. Sober is a reflection of the opposite of addiction. It's a symptom okay. of of not being addicted, but it's not like you're addicted. Now you're sober. Those are like conflict. Those are antonyms, right? Okay. The, the well, they may be used that way, but the sobriety is a symptom of something else. Yeah. And what they've discovered is the the symptom of the sobriety is a symptom of connectedness. Mm. So the opposite of addiction is actually connectedness. Mm. So when you even think about addiction, whether it's something you look at, something you drink, something you taste, something you think about, you almost always, if not always, do it alone, hmm. right? In fact, we wouldn't want to do a lot of those things around other people, right? So much of that stuff yeah. that happens is breeded in that way, and the reason being is it's isolating, right? right? And so what we found is that the best solution to, you know, sobriety are, is actually connectedness. While there's some great things in the 12 steps of AA is the fact that you're together on a regular basis, right. the fact right. that you get a sponsor that walks with you, that's actually the solution. And so... Science is showing us that because the Bible already points to that. And so first thing that God creates is friendship and, you know, mm-hmm. communion. And then when God reunites us with himself, he does it by with union, with, mm-hmm. you know, connection. And so there's something about this deep need and option for connection that actually drives the human race. Nothing mm-hmm. else does. In fact, so when you think about it, it's like, yeah, if you really were to survey it, maybe, maybe you go, that sermon really changed me. No, it's actually something you decide to do as a result of that sermon yeah. that with other people. It's like, man, that little thing, that helped me get fit. No, you made a decision because you had this moment, but then you went to a class. Right. And then the people in that class started missing you when you weren't there. Right. And then right. now you know you got to get there at 5.30 in the morning because they're going to be disappointed. Right. There's something in that that we just, like we can step back and go, yeah, we see that. And so if you just look throughout the scriptures, this is just the beauty of it. When Jesus divides his people up to send them out for the first mission, takes the 12, and you know what he does? He splits them up in pairs right right and then he tells them to go find a person of peace a 
third person. There's something in this that he splits mm. them up and sends it. So when I think about that first movement, that person of peace is the one who allows them to operate in that. And I just think, man, there's something about the Holy Spirit in that role and thinking about pairs and those things. So I just would say wholeheartedly, and I'm not good at this, so I'm not I'm not talking to you as a as an expert in this field. But I just would say, if you're not experiencing growth in your life, I promise you, somewhere in that, this isn't just that the Holy Spirit doesn't love you, you can't feel God, or God's not doing anything. There's something about having to do this together, right? Like, I I joked at the end in all the services, you know, most of my favorite experiences started with, I'll do it if you do it. But think about the inverse of that. How many, I don't know if you've had it, I've had times where I've seen something, I've experienced something, but I was all by myself. Hmm. And it's like, boy, I wish so-and-so was here. Or I'm, like when you watch a sitcom by yourself, right. it's funnier with other people, right? There's right, just right. something about that that you would experience a great moment and grieve the great moment in the moment because so someone wasn't there with you. That's just telling us something about this yeah. connected piece that has to happen in terms yeah. of the gospel. And so I just, I don't think I can highlight that in, to any deeper level of going throughout the scriptures. What you see is Jesus gives us friends so that we can move with him and experience it yeah. together. Yeah. So. And I think that's, I feel like I asked that question, but I feel yeah. like I already know a right. lot of your answer. And I think that's part of the reason why we push small groups. Like we push connect yeah. on Wednesdays because that community is really the foundation. Like I, I think I've heard you say it and might even be from another pastor, but, but change happens not in pews, but in circles. Yeah. And that's that reference to small groups. And I think yeah. that that's so valuable. I feel like a lot of my times of, of the biggest spiritual growth in my life has yeah. been when I've been surrounded by a community of people yeah. that are challenging, are pushing me, there's accountability in that, but there's also acceptance, there's love, yeah. there's there's belonging in that. And I just yeah. think it's it's so critical. I feel like that's a solution for so many different things yeah. is to be in community, to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. And in that, man, it's amazing how the growth just happens. So let's think about this. First, he created marriage, yeah. connectedness, then he created family, connectedness. Those get all sorts of messed up. Still working on that. Yeah. And then God gives us himself in connectedness and then he establishes the institution that's supposed to help re- you know, restore this whole kingdom, yeah. family, marriage, and that's the church. Right. So the church is a really messed up word. It's the, it comes from the the uh, German word Kirch, which comes from the Latin word basilica, and that actually just means a building. Right. So it's a really terrible translation that gets lost somewhere in the 14-1500s in Bible translations. But the original word for church was the ecclesia, yeah, and yeah. it literally means to be bonded for a purpose. Mm. So like it was a military form. It was bonded. Yeah. There was this connection for a purpose. Okay. So the one thing that I would point out and go, hey, if, if you're trying to figure out if this is a healthy friendship, Okay, there's bonding, but there's a bonding for a purpose. What's mm. the purpose? Yeah. That's why I love, and I would almost challenge people, if you haven't found community yet, the best way to do it is to serve. Yeah. Like to serve right. at the Big Yellow Mug, to serve on a worship team, to get behind the audio video stuff, or serve in kids' ministry, yeah. or serve as a small group leader. Because there's something about going, I'm going to be bonded with other people yeah. for a purpose. Right. That seems to be the next most appropriate step. It's just jump in and serve so you can be bonded in mission on yeah. mission with people for a purpose. So. Yeah. Well, that's really good. I want to kind of yeah. change gears in the last 10 minutes that we have um there was one question that i i apparently i I left my cell phone um at my desk so yeah there was a question about communion that i thought was really good and forgive me if i don't get this exactly right the way that it was worded but it was basically the question was is why do we say that that this is the body of christ which is broken for you when christ none of christ's bones were broken so that i think that was basically the gist of it if that was not please let us know we'll you know, yeah, so, on that next so Old, to. Old Testament clearly describes that would be broken. John actually says, just as Jesus' Jesus's bones were broken. So great point. 
And I mean, I would take it and go broken for you, right? Like there's just this, I, I get that. And so let me give you a kind of the biblical um, understanding, some complications of maybe the scriptures, uh, and then let me just tell you why I'm okay with it anyway, okay? Um, from a biblical standpoint, uh, the Gospels, the, the, the stories about Jesus' life, they capture the Last Supper, right? In all those, Jesus says, this is my body poured out for you, and this is my body, this is the bread, and he says it broke it, and then he says, this is my body given for you. Mm. He actually doesn't say broken. Mm. So perhaps we've gotten that wrong, and the reason mm. we may have gotten it wrong is when Paul talks about this, when he says, hey, on, on the day that Jesus was deceived, on the night that Jesus was deceived, he walks back through this you know, this communion deal. And many of those translations do say broken. Okay. So Jesus doesn't say broken. Perhaps Paul recorded as broken. Okay. But if you really investigate that, the early manuscripts we have as a result of things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, anything before about 300, they don't say broken. Okay. They just say given, offered. Okay. Now, um, however, uh, um, so Bible's written in Greek, New Testament's written in Greek. You know, 300, 400 years in, you got Constantine, you got a big influence of, you know, Latin language. And so this guy named Jerome, he actually translates the Greek Bible into Latin, and it's called the Vulgate. And when he translates it, none of Jesus' words are translated broken. But many of the ones that Paul's written and, and those kind of, you know, we have some close to the original manuscripts of that, they do say broken. So that's probably where it falls from. And I do understand the piece of, well, Jesus is bones are not broken but i would say his body definitely was yeah like his body was definitely broken i mean you think of just like yeah. his skin was broken and so the prophecy is still true and yet the imagery is still accurate that yeah. his body is broken now when you think about broken you look at that word that jesus used in uh in his statement body given for you but he breaks it that word broken there almost is exclusively used in the new testament to talk about bread being broken okay which is pretty interesting as you okay. think about uh, you know communion but the other times, it says it there, and Acts it says, and they committed to the apostles' teaching, and they broke bread together. It means the sharing of something, right? Okay. Um, and even when Jesus said, feeding them the you know, five loaves, two fish, it says he broke the five loaves and distributed them. So there is something about that word being used throughout the New Testament as a form of distribution. Hmm. So that, to me, is going, wow, I wish I can't teach it all on a Sunday during communion. There's something pretty beautiful about the fact that when Jesus takes and does the miraculous, he takes what should only apply to a small handful of people. One piece of bread, uh, five, five bread, pieces of bread, right? And then somehow does some kind of supernatural work where when it's broken, when it's distributed, it actually covers the masses. Mm. So what, what's happening on a, on a micro level covers a macro level. Okay. So I think there is something really neat about talking about in terms of the broken of the distribution. So when Jesus, when Paul's telling us it's broken for us, that means what one body did is now made available through a supernatural work mm. to to make it to the, to the masses. Mm. So, um, not offended either way. I think probably without a lot of explanation, I'd, I probably will lean more now than doing some study on this. Going, I'll probably talk more about it being given to us than okay. broken, just for the sake of not confusing people there. Yeah. And yet, feeling very comfortable if you used the word broken, someone else used the word broken, quotes broken, I can understand where God would be deeply um, yeah. glorified in it. And yeah. that makes any sense. Okay. So there Great. you go. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for that question. question we appreciate that. That's really good. Didn't do too much work on it, so I saw it. Yeah. So um, uh, the last question that we have, um, and to be honest, I'm not sure if it's a question. We, we tend to get a, a significant amount of, of uh similar questions to this, but again, not sure if they're questions or not. Um, but I'm going to just ask it. I'm going to read it the way that they wrote it and um, have you kind of dive into that. So it says, 
this is a question concerning kind of more the logistics of the church and just kind of the pews specifically. Um, it says, why were the pews removed after we had agreed to a third service and hired a staff member? Uh, we created a space uh, we created a space so that we didn't have to remove pews. So, and I guess what I'm referring to is that we tend to get a lot of these anonymous, I don't want to call them questions. They're more like statements um, that I have to be careful with because it's easy for me to take offense to yeah. some of these. And I think that it can be easy for our staff to take offense to these. But but I think that you, as you saw this, you were going, hey, maybe this is a question that they're looking to get answered. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, there, there are some, there, there's questions that show up that I don't know if they're questions or comments. Yeah. And so, frankly, if you've... Uh, uh, if you've written this question uh, and we haven't answered it, it's because we didn't know that it was a question. Thought it was more of a comment, and you know, try, try to figure out whether or not it's the same handwriting kind of stuff. It's all like it's so complicated. And some of this is, oh, finally, I had this epiphany that maybe this is actually something that you wanted for overtime. And the reason that that's my epiphany is there's no way that we can have a dialogue over it. So yeah. if your name's not on it, whoever's name's not on it, uh, there's just no way to have a conversation. Which we're happy to have any conversation because uh, one of the things I just would share really candidly, I got, I got, I got a comment on this a couple months ago and kind of the, the front loading of it was well we know you're ready shoot aim so we think you should I think well I know you're ready shoot aim you should spend more time you should have spent more on time on this and that I'm hurtful probably and go I don't even first I wish we could have a conversation second of all it's a little bit accusatory that's fine maybe maybe that's the perception and third there's just a, a lot of background here and right. so this wasn't just some decision I made you made and so sorry if you're asking that question there and, and uh, let me answer the question but first let me also offer some commentary on the question since I think the question a lot of time is commentary like they'll come like why do you talk so fast or why is the sermon so long or things like sermons should only be 30 minutes exclamation points or services should be only 60 minutes exclamation points and those aren't questions um, but they do hurt I mean, they yeah. do hurt because we're actually sincerely begging the Lord to have his way in our church every week like we're asking him to have his way I'm begging God to teach us what he wants to teach us through his scriptures and we're i know megan and christian are begging god to make sure that we're choosing the right songs that honor him and take you to his feet and so this idea that this is ready shoot aim is is it actually couldn't be further from the truth i mean right. there is praying and intentionality and a lot of thoughts and a lot of discussions on those things and honestly we'd be happy to share that with you right. and that's where i just say if you want to leave comments um would you just put your name on it so right. that right. we can have some conversation because my assumption is um, you don't leave uh, your name because th then you'd be embarrassed to say it, which you don't have to be embarrassed to say it if you feel it. You're allowed to feel that. I just would love to sit down and right. shepherd you yeah. in this. We'd love to shepherd you because, frankly, the, the anonymous comment doesn't help us either way. It doesn't help me grow. It doesn't help you grow, and I want to be able to do that. So there's that piece. Now, specifically about the pews, and that's where we wonder if this is the case. This was 14, 15 months of the making. There's lots of discussion on it. One is how do we use our space all the time every day of the week, and there's lots of needs in our building. It stays pretty busy. Auditorium, everything upstairs stays busy. And so we sorted through that, brought it before the elders uh, over a year and a half ago now, maybe maybe a little less, right out of them, and basically share with them, hey, what do you think we should do? We were talking about different events, particularly Night to Shine. And one of the things that came up out of that is, hey, I, there, there's a, a deep level of connection to the pews. And uh, candidly, I don't understand it because I just, I, I, I just don't. I mean, I just have grown up in buildings that didn't have them. But it, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I have some deep connection to certain hymns because of the way my dad led them that draw some emotion to me. And so I, I care about you if that's the emotion you have and completely understand that. And so kind of the conversation about the pews had two, three fronts. What about folks who like the traditional environment? Okay, we want to care for them. 
but is that enough to make sure but how do we also become really good stewards of the space mm-hmm. and and the third one is uh, based on the stewardship of the space and people is well we're not just going to throw pews away so you get all those things what kind of came about is going this is more of a distraction right now than is necessary oh yeah and the fourth one is okay how do we what's well, more of the stewardship of space is how do we create enough room for more people to sit in our, in our building so we have mm-hmm. all those things going on working through all of it and so what came about a year ago over a year ago a session our, our elders were like ah we don't think now's the right time i go great let's focus on actually building a special needs disability ministry really excited to do it and i shared that in the sermon and um, then it came back up uh, this past year, working on creating more space. We're particularly at nine o'clock service, so we're talking about Saturday services, talking about not just Saturday services, but also how do we use our space on Wednesday nights? You might not know this, but our entire building is full, and we don't have any rooms available right now. We'd like to offer more classes, but we just can't. So part of the thought was, could we take out some of the back pews and build some dividers for things like Wednesdays for Celebrate Recovery breakout sessions? And so all that kind of made its way around session. And so this isn't a, I mean, this is three, four months, and you can yeah. ask the session members about this. This wasn't a decision. Uh, we came out lightly and then worked through and kind of the, the two big ideas were, okay, how do we create some more space for for Wednesday nights, specifically for, for two things. One, we're out of space to feed more people with chairs. So one of the first solutions we did is we got smaller tables and chairs. The second phase was create some space in the back of the sanctuary that we could set up some tables. So far, we haven't had to use that, but we anticipate as it spring comes, we'll face that again, like we did last year, so when we prepared for that. So it was about breakout sessions for Celebrate Recovery, space for tables and chairs in the back of the auditorium to eat a cow. And the third one, this is just, I'll share with you very candidly, uh, and important to me is, uh, we host um, we host the voters here, mm. and if uh, you're not paying attention, we have some pretty significant elections coming up. Now um, we have a couple of dilemmas. One, we have a coffee shop, so the the voters can't set up in our lobby anymore like they did used to do years in the past because there's a full blown coffee shop in there and people work from here. So then we've tried a couple other things. One, we've tried Kid Zone, and now Kid Zone is uh, we have preschool there, so we can't do that on days that they're not closed. And then. Um, the auditorium we've tried, but that's really difficult, particularly for folks who are handicapped either to have to use the elevator or even find the space. So that hadn't worked. So as we've worked with our, you know, our, the folks around here, what became the, the most appropriate solution would be just to use the back part of our sanctuary. So people can come into our space and they can, we can set up a table, a voting booths right there in the back where those three or four pews are left. And so that's what we've done there. Now, the last thing I'll say is one of the reasons I kind of led back to this conversation of should we go ahead and do this to make this more multi-purpose space had to do with uh, the, the the opportunity to perhaps uh, sell the pews because the other side of stewardship is we're not just going to throw them away. So we started having conversations because another church was interested in the pews. Uh, our pews ended up not fitting their space. And that's why I go, okay, maybe for a different time, we'll discuss it later. But we thought a nice interim would be to figure out if it made more sense, at least create a little bit more space in the back, which leads to the last question of what happened in the pews. They are all stored in climate control at uh, New London Presbyterian Church. And so nothing's happened to them. We're not getting rid of them. We're just trying to create space in the interim so that people can can continue to use our building and we can continue to let God use it throughout the week in so many different ways. And so uh, that happened about the same time we started going, no, we want our space to feel uh, deliberately worshipful. And that's mm-hmm. why we highlighted the cross, built the rock wall. So we go, no, we don't even want to draw people's eyes to the pews. We're going to draw them to the cross and we want to stand with the cross behind us as the, as, as that which, you know, sustains us and that which we get to point to. So that's how that all came about. And frankly, uh, none of this is news that, that the elders wouldn't be willing to share with you. So you're mm-hmm. welcome to ask those questions as well. We spent a couple, three months trying to work through what was the most appropriate thing. So we moved, I think, four pews, five pews, maybe six out of the back in the middle 
very specifically to create a little bit of space on Wednesdays and for voting. No. Uh, there's anything else to share there? No, I think that it kind of goes full circle. So I just, again, want to remind you that on February 12th, which is not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, February 12th evening with the elders. If you do have questions, you have thoughts, you have comments, please, by all means, show up then. You can ask us, I mean, email us, especially, as Josh said, if you put your name on one of these comments, we'd love to be able to get back to you and talk to you. But uh, when we can't really distinguish if that's just a comment and or a statement, like if they're looking for that. So, um, yeah, so that is kind of all the time that we have. Actually, we're a few minutes over. So I want to say thank you for joining us. If you're listening either live through YouTube, through Facebook, or if you're joining us on podcast, um, whatever podcast you listen to, you can find us at clcfamily.church. Just search for that. And, yeah, thanks. We'll see you around, and have a great week. Have a great week.